Welcome back to Talk of the Town on 99.7 and 1450 WHTC on WHTC.com and on the WHTC app for your smartphone. Once again, here's your host, Gary Stevens. Welcome back to Talk of the Town for this Friday, February the 9th. Second Friday of the month. At this time, it's Ask the Attorney. One of our two rotating attorneys, local attorneys, answer your questions about probate, business law, and other non-criminal matters. As always, uh, we uh, do suggest and strongly suggest that for your own particular case, please consult with your own uh, counselor at law before you take any legal action. But if you have a question, general question that is, we'll be happy to take it at 616-395-1450. And on the other side of our table is Ken Pazicki of the Law Office of Kenneth E. Pazicki. Ken, good morning and Happy New Year, sir. Top of the morning, same to you. Yeah. Since this is our first yeah. time to chat. Happy Groundhog's Day and all that good yeah. stuff. We've already passed that. Yeah. That was a week yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, spring is here. Yeah, spring is here. That also means tax time is here. It is. It is. <laughs> and I am not an accountant. But as any good estate planning attorney will tell you, uh, clients have a three-legged stool when it comes to financial things. There's the financial planner, there's the accountant, and then there's the lawyer. And we all have to sing out of the same hymn book. Because mm-hmm. if I'm doing one thing and the CPA is doing another thing and the and the financial planner's Trying to make you oodles of money, uh, you can you can find yourself in a lot of a lot of hot water real quick. How much do you have to keep up with any legal changes, any changes to tax laws, be at the state or federal level? Uh, well, uh, interesting. You should ask. Uh, we're really looking forward to twenty twenty five. You know, we I think we can predict what this year, and next year are going to be. But at the end of twenty twenty five, all of the Trump tax cuts are going to sunset. And so, yes, yeah, stay tuned, stay tuned. Now, um, back to the tax issue, though. Um, One thing that I routinely talk to about with my clients, and I always suggest that they consult their financial planner and their accountant, that's the fine print, um, is obviously this is the time of year where people go and talk to to their accountant or maybe somebody at one of the tax preparation companies and they do their taxes. And... A lot of my clients are retired. They're on fixed income, Social Security, what have you. And I always ask them uh, how much they're taking out of their IRA. And more often than not, if they are not yet 73 years old, they say, oh, I'm not taking anything out of my IRA. And I say, well, why aren't you taking anything out of your IRA? And they say, well, I'm not 73 yet. And then I ask them, oh, um, what are your sources of income? And typically it's a social security check and maybe a small pension. And then I say, okay, what is your tax bracket? And a lot of them don't know. I think it's really important that you know what your tax bracket is because if you're retired on a fixed income, you're probably in a very low tax bracket, which means you probably should be taking money out of your IRA even though you don't have to. And I usually ask them, I I usually ask them carte blanche, if you could liquidate your entire IRA, 
I don't care if it's 5,000, 50,000, or 550,000. If you could liquidate your entire IRA today and only pay 12% tax on it, would you do it? And most of them go, oh, yeah. I said, well, if you didn't take money out of your IRA last year, then you missed that opportunity, which is to say most people who are retired, who are on fixed income, Social Security, and maybe a small pension, they, they could take a substantial amount of money out of their IRA and still be in the 12% tax bracket. But they don't do it because the IRS says you don't have to until you're 73, which means they're leaving money on the table. Again, Ken Pizicki is an attorney, not a, not a financial advisor. Fair but, enough. But... That, but, but there are some laws that you need to know. Yeah, and in tax time, I, I, I would feel myself remiss if I didn't give people common sense tax advice like that. And I tell them, talk to your accountant, talk to your financial planner, Take, seek, that, seek advice. But if, they don't, if you don't know what question to ask, you don't know the answer. Now, that's on uh, a, an individual basis. Uh, I know that when we do have... Uh, Nathan Box of Central Park Law, mm -hmm. he yep. does a lot of work in the business law aspect of it and the like. You do some, although maybe... Very, very little, very little. Not, definitely not as yep. much as what Nathan yeah. would do. We, we do uh, single-member limited liability companies and family limited liability companies where a son and a father want to buy a, a rental property or such. Anything beyond that, uh, we have attorneys that would refer to we refer that work to because it's not in our bailiwick. 616-395-1450. Good morning. You're on the line with attorney Ken Pazicki. Morning. I got a question about living wills. Fire away. Okay. When I was, I moved to Michigan in 2015 from Illinois. Okay. In Illinois, we had a separate document that on the top was living will. Yes. And all the mumbo jumbo was after that. Mumbo jumbo. I moved to Michigan. Wow. Well, the fancy, the fancy, you know. I'm just giving you legal grief. talk. I'm giving you grief. So, anyway, so I moved to, when I moved to Michigan, I had a, a trust, durable power of attorneys, and all that. But the lawyer at the time said we don't have a special just document that says living will at the top. Correct. So I have durable power, durable. So now, you know, because I've heard on the radio people talking yeah. living wills. Yep. Does Michigan have a true living will document? Or no, not? no, we don't. Instead. Instead, we have a health care power of attorney. So you probably have two powers of attorney. You probably have a financial power of attorney. I know, I know Illinois has two statutory powers of attorney. There's a health care power of attorney and a financial power of attorney. I have both those. And, and you have, in addition to that, you have a living will. So the health care power of attorney appoints somebody to make medical decisions for you. The living will tells them what your wishes are. In Michigan, we combine the health care power of attorney and the living will into one document. So my every every power every medical power of attorney that I've seen locally has two components. There's the designation of the patient advocate, where you're appointing somebody with successors, followed by a either a broad or a detailed explanation of what you want 
in any given circumstance. If you're in a coma, if you're in a vegetative state, if you're in hospice care, do you want a feeding tube? Do you want to be on a vent? Do you want kidney dialysis? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? All that kind of stuff. We combine that living will portion into the power of attorney document. So we put it all in one. So you don't have to have two documents. It's all rolled into one because they should be together. It, it really makes... I haven't, Go ahead. I haven't looked at mine lately to read all that stuff, but yeah. I wouldn't want to throw it on the designated person to say, pull the plug on this guy. I'd rather have it in paper that I said, pull the plug. Absolutely. You know I mean? that, least, that's exactly right. That's, that, you, you, that hit the, you hit the nail on the head. It does no good for me to appoint Gary as my, as my patient advocate without giving him some instructions. So rather, and rather than have that separate document... Illinois calls it a living will, we, we incorporate those wishes into the medical power of attorney. So the power, the, your, your agent, your patient advocate, only has to have one document at, in their hands. And that, then the instructions would be as part of that document. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, so no, uh, we don't have a quote-unquote living will. Uh, we have an equivalent document, but it's rolled into one, and that's the medical power of attorney. You can pick that up at your doctor's office. You can pick one up at the at the hospital. Well, I, I have mine in my closet. I can reread it because <laughs> I haven't read it in years, and right. it's, and it's uh, registered at both the hospitals and stuff, so good, if good, I could take one of them, they have it on hand. Now, let me ask you this. Does the person whom you've appointed have a copy of that document? Oh, yeah. Good, yeah. good, good, good. A lot of people don't give it to them. A lot of people stick it in the fireproof file cabinet in the basement, and and when they need it, the kids have to break into the the file cabinet to I get had, the document. I have three, I have you know three designated people, and Good. all three have a copy. Good. And there's one, of course, not in the safe deposit box. Good. So it's ready to go to the hospital with you. Yeah, yeah. That that document you know. should be in multiple places. Now the downside to that is, if you decide to change it, you got to go back to all the people that you gave the old document to and replace it with a new document. But that document mm-hmm. should be in your doctor's office, and your with with electronic medical records. Your the hospital can talk to your doctor's office, and your kids or whomever you've appointed should have a copy of it, just in case if they need it in the middle of the night. Rather than having to rummage through your house to try to find it, they go to their file cabinet, and hopefully they'll find it. We 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 give documents to clients to give to their kids, and we put it in a bright yellow envelope. So that so that if something happens, they look for that bright yellow envelope, and and their copies of the documents are in that bright yellow envelope. But that that's, that's that, a good idea. Yeah, that, that's the most important document that that you get when you go to an estate planning attorney is that medical because it's life and death. You know, did you want to be on a feeding tube? Do you want to be on a vent? That's 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 important stuff. So you have to have both. You have to have the designation of the person, and you have to have something that tells that person what it is you want or don't want, as the case may be. Inclu- okay, including- I'll go reread mine to make sure that stuff's there. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, thank you very much for the call. 616-395-1450, 616-395-1450. Let me switch topics a little bit. Dealing with elder care. Okay. And a person... Uh, is was in an, an is it an elder care home? Okay, assisted the, living or yeah. skilled care, whichever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but they need help. They're they not, need it's, help. It's not, it's not just an independent but apartment. The elder care home okay. needs help in terms of they go under. Uh, 
or they have issues, maintenance and stuff like that, yep. they get closed down by the state. Hypothetically, right? This is yeah. hypothetical. I'm not trying to say anything about these parts. Right. Although but, but it happens. Had, it happens. We've had stories about oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Heartland. Yeah. Yeah. They go down. They go down. What happens? What what do you do, especially if it's your mom right. or it's your grandmom and yeah, yeah. you gotta move them around? Yeah. You scramble. <laughs> um if you, if you get wind of the fact that they might be closing down, you try to find an alternative housing for them because that's that's a huge problem. They I don't I don't know how many uh, how many residents they had at any one time, probably eighty to hundred. But think about it. Hey guys, we're closing our doors. All of a sudden, this, these eighty to hundred residents have nowhere to go, and they might end up in South Haven or Muskegon or you know Hudsonville, which is you know not not real you know, close by for the family to visit. It is a problem. Now, what about legal ways to get a person out of a housing situation which is not ideal? Yeah. You know, usually so, you sign a contract. Yep. yep. Usually they're a 30, there for it, X amount. Yeah, and usually there's a thirty day, thirty day window where you have to give notice. Obviously, if you die, you don't have to give notice. But or or if you if you transition from let's say assisted living to skilled care and the assisted living facility doesn't have the ability to care for you anymore because you need a feeding tube or a, you know, catheter or something. Um, then you can move from the assisted living to the skilled care facility. But, but if you're in skilled care facility X and you know, the kids are like, Oh, this is, this is crazy. We, we don't want mom in here anymore. Well, it's like an apartment. You got to give a 30 day notice. And if you leave early, they're going to come after you for that, for that month. Um, now is there laws in terms of what these assisted care facilities can put into their contracts that keeps, keeps the option for the patient or an advocate for the patient to move the patient out? If it's not a case, you know, if it's a case of say abuse oh, sure. or, Neglect of the facility or neglect of the patient. Well, if, let's face it: if if there are allegations of abuse or neglect, uh, they're not going to come after you for the fifty four hundred bucks. Because if you're going to countersue them for abuse or neglect, it's not worth their while. So if they know why you're leaving, a lot of times they'll just wash their hands and, and uh, help you pack. <laughs> because they, well, let's put it this way: they got other things to do. Uh, exactly <laughs> bigger, right. Bigger things. Well, to and, worry and the about. reality is. Uh, there is a dire need for assisted living and skilled care space in, in the Holland Zealand area. So if you leave, there's going to be somebody to, to fill the bed. There are a lot of people in their homes waiting for a bed to open up. Um, depending on the facility that, that, that the wait list might be quite long. <laughs> um, but you know, if, if I've got clients who have gone in into the hospital for whatever operation and it's really, and again, it, it ebbs and tides, you know, it, the timing is everything, but sometimes the the, the uh, social worker can't find a, a suitable spot for a patient that needs to get rehab, and so they might go to Kalamazoo, they might go to Muskegon or South Haven for that for that rehabilitative care. And the same is true for assisted living. Um, sometimes sometimes there's a, there are rooms available. Sometimes they're jam packed, and you know if you leave, if somebody leaves, that place gets filled really quick. So that that'll that'll that will trigger whether or not the nursing home comes after you for that missing month of rent. All right. Um, when does 
mom or dad, you know, what legal ways can children put their parents in assisted living if, let's just say, the parents is unable to make the decision for themselves? Or more frequently, they don't want to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, if they're unable to make decisions, that, quite frankly, is easier mm-hmm. because the medical power of attorney that we were just talking about authorizes the patient advocate to place mom or dad in a suitable living facility if they can't make medical decisions for themselves. Okay. Now, if mom is, let's say, half there and she doesn't want to go, well, that that's more problematic because if she's of sound mind and you try to move her and she says, no, I don't want to go, well, quite frankly, there's not a whole lot you can do, uh, in which case we typically throw it at throw it to adult protective services and have them do a, an in-home visit and they are that's what they do um, they they assess the living situation and if that person is not capable of living on their own they, they put a bug in the judge's ear and the judge can force mom to go into an assisted living facility and and usually what happens three or four weeks later mom is happier than a pig in mud <laughs> and she says why didn't I come here four years ago the fear of the unknown. Exactly right. It's change. None of us like it. You got that right. Human nature. That's right. That's right. Does not like yeah. change. Ken, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's return, I should say, to um, the subject of tax and a couple yes. of other things to keep in mind as people are now filing their taxes and getting their returns. Right. So so just to button up this whole IRA thing, uh, a lot of my clients like to give charitably. And... The best way to give charitably once you hit that magic mark of 70 and a half years is to call your financial planner and tell the financial planner to write a check to the charity of your choice, whether it's the church or the school or whatever. Because once you're over age 70 and a half, you're allowed to take money out of your IRA, give it to charity, and you never have to pay tax on that distribution. Most people know that when you take money out of an IRA, you got to pay tax on it. But what they, a lot of people don't know is you can take money out of your IRA, give it to charity, you never report it as income, and, and you still get to take that very generous standard deduction on your income tax return, which is close to $27,000 for a married couple, $13,500 for a single person. Not many people give charitably to the tune of $13,500 every year. Um, so you get to take that standard deduction and by giving money from your IRA to the charity, it's the equivalent of a deduction. Good morning. You're on the line with Ken Pazicki. Yes, a question on trust, please. Sure. I would like to know uh, when a property, a home, land, or is put into a trust mm-hmm. and you pass, when it is up for sale, do the first bid that comes in get the property or can the family decide on uh, what bid they want? Well, it's up to, technically, it's up to the trustee. So if you have one of your kids as the trustee, uh, yeah, they can, they can go to the highest bidder. In fact, that trustee has a duty to sell it to the highest bidder. Okay, when you're the trustee of somebody's trust, uh, you can't be selling to your buddy for, at a discount. You can't be taking that first offer that comes in. Um the, the trustee has a duty to maximize the value of the assets in the trust. Now, if, if, if you got three kids and they agree 
that one of the grandkids can buy it at a 10% discount or whatever. That's different. But the trustee has to maximize the value of the estate uh, with the consent of the beneficiaries. Now, that doesn't mean the trustee has to get the consent of the beneficiaries before they sign a purchase agreement. That would be a nightmare. Um, when you have a trust, typically people name one trustee, and that trustee has the responsibility and the duty to to seek the highest the highest bidder for the property and to maximize the value of the property. Now, if if the if the other kids kick and scream, I uh, say, hey, you didn't get the highest and best price. Well, that that's when the trustee can get into hot water. So, the short answer is they're probably not well advised to take that first offer um, because that typically won't result in a maximum amount of money to the trust, especially in this market where a lot of times we're still having bidding wars, especially on condominiums. Um, I still see people, after they pass away, the kids put the condo on the market and there's a bidding war and they end up getting more than their asking price. So uh, the trustee has a duty to maximize the value and that typically means not not taking that first offer that comes in the door because typically that's not going to be the, the best offer. Great question, though. Thank you. Uh, okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much for the call. 616-395-1450. I don't know if we'll have time for another call, uh, uh, but, again, you can get a hold of Ken's office, yep. and we'll give it that number in a few moments. Uh, in, the, in the listener's question, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that come to mind. First, there's a time limit. In other words, the best offer by X date, right. or to yeah. in other words, somebody can't come in with a better offer like two months later down no, the road. Once it's gone, so so what a what a what a what a savvy buyer will do if they really want the condo, they'll come in and they'll say, "Here's the offer. It's good for 24 hours." That really puts the trustee in a bind, and if that happens, the trustee has to call the brothers and sisters and say, "Hey guys, do you want to wait six months for your money, or do you want it tomorrow?" Um, now, and that and that can be a way to to expedite that whole process. Now, is the trustee under any uh, equal opportunity laws? Uh, sure, there are, whenever you sell a piece of property, you are subject to non discrimination laws. You can't you can't say I don't want you be I don't, I'm not going to let you buy this house because you're Jewish or because you're Catholic or because whatever. You can't you cannot you can discriminate but not on an illegal basis. Okay, I just race, creed, color, religion. I just didn't know whether or not yeah, yeah. that aspect of the law is, involves the sale of that t- you know like like somebody's trying to buy a trying to buy a house, right? So again, the phone number to get a hold of Ken Bazicki is 616-738-8800 616-738 the law office of Kenneth A. Pazicki is P-U-Z-Y-C-K-I dot com, located on the north side near James and U.S. 31. And uh, as always, Ken, appreciate the time. Been a pleasure. I got to wish my daughter a happy birthday, Rachel. I love you. She's 27 tomorrow. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Anyways, Let's put it this way. I'm glad I'm not 27 anymore. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to be 27 I now. I don't know. Looking don't know. ahead. Well. Yeah. Tap short. me on the shoulder, get me home. <laughs> <laughs> buy, you know what stock you would buy though, right? <laughs> go back in time. Okay. So, Ken, anyways, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, 99.7 and 1450 WHTC.